Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. Friends, hear now the introduction to the scripture. According to scholars, Paul composed this letter between 48 and 55 CE. In all honesty, Galatians is Paul's most intense letter. The letter addresses the churches of Galatia, an area located in the region of modern-day Turkey and so named for the wandering Celtic tribes who call themselves Galatians that settled in this region around 278-277 BCE. The content and tone of the letter are combative, and Paul takes a decidedly defensive posture with the Galatians. In fact, this is Paul's only letter that does not open with words of thanksgiving for the recipients. Instead, Paul begins by immediately declaring his astonishment that these people are deserting God and embracing a false message that perverts the gospel of Christ. He then turns quite defensive, responding to the charges that he is a people pleaser. Yet, after all presenting several arguments, many drawn from scripture regarding faith works and the true purpose of the law, Paul turns conciliatory, appealing to the Galatians as his children in faith, gently calling them back to a gospel characterized by compassion and love. In the end, Paul believes that God has given the Holy Spirit to all people so that Christ may be formed in them to the end of transforming the world itself. Let us turn now and listen to Paul as he explains how we might see and hear the effects of the Holy Spirit's power working within us. The scripture today from Galatians 5, 22 through 26 from the message. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion and heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Legalism is helpless in bringing about all of this. It only gets in the way among those who belong to Christ. Everything connected with getting our own way and mindlessly responding to that what everyone else calls necessities is killed off for good, crucified. Since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. That means we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us were better and another worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. 
Each of us is an original. Thanks be to God. in San Diego, we had in our backyard this old, thorny, really pitiful tree. And it sat glumly between these two rather regal queen palms. And by all accounts, this particular tree just seemed so unhappy and grouchy and um, prickly. If you looked at it straight on, it uh, appeared as if the branches had in fact folded themselves over in exasperation the way a grumpy person might fold one arm over the other as a sign of bitterness or frustration. And every time I walked past that tree, it would casually unfold one of its arms and stealthily reach out and stab me with one of those needle-like thorns. It was that kind of tree. And the previous owner had told me that He thought it might be a fruit tree, but he wasn't sure because it never bore any fruit. In fact, he said, rarely does it ever even produce any leaves. And so, for three years, I endured the prickly persecution of that tree whenever I did the lawn. Until one day, I finally had enough. And I brought out the lopper and the pruning shears, and I went to work on that old tree with great enthusiasm. I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't care. I had had enough and it turned out that it was this long back and forth grueling battle. Every time I would reach in to lop a branch, it would stab me a hundred times with all of its thorns. By the time I was done, I was a bloody mess and that poor tree looked like a little piece of driftwood that was just stuck loosely in the earth. I watered the tree, fertilized it, even as Lori prophesied that I had killed it once and for all. The following spring, it happened. For the first time in untold years, new buds began to form on those once folded grumpy arms of that tree, followed then by an abundance of these green satiny leaves. Before long, dozens and dozens of blossoms, white and yellow, began to open and stretch towards sunlight and air and drive by 
pollinators. And weeks later, several weeks later, that old tree produced an abundance of these plump, juicy limes. I thought about that old tree this week as I studied and reflected on this passage from the book of Galatians about the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, generosity, self-control. I wondered, how do these fruits of the Spirit grow out of the human soul? From where do they come? And the lesson of that old fruit tree in my backyard suggests that whenever we do not see these particular fruits growing in our lives or in our world, it's probably because we've neglected the tree. We've neglected what's beneath the soil as well as what's above it. And this neglect is how the human spirit dies. This neglect of the tree is how our whole society and the soul of our society dies. How is your tree doing? As you look at our world, how is the the tree of our society doing? Jesus once said you can judge a tree by the kind of fruit that it produces, good fruit, bad fruit, or no fruit at all. And in doing so, he calls us to examine daily our lives, to see what kind of fruit we're producing. Where in my life is there evidence of really good things like love and joy and patience and when I'm on I-85, self-control? Where in the world are the signs in our society around us of patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control? In our words and our actions, in our encounters with others, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our churches, in our public and uh, political arenas? Or maybe the other question we should ask instead is where is there a lack of evidence of these things? What I learned from that tree is that nobody can give us the fruits of the Spirit. They have to be grown by us. We can't suddenly make ourselves more loving or kind or gentle or develop greater self-control just by thinking ourselves into doing it any more than we can demand that an old lime tree squeeze out a couple of limes. Because Mother Nature doesn't work that way and neither does human nature. So whenever we see a lack of love and joy and peace and patience, wherever instead what we see is hatred and unkindness and unpeace and ruthlessness, we know that the tree is not well. In our passage from Galatians, the Apostle Paul is writing to a community of churches in major turmoil. In the NRSV translation, it says that people are, quote, literally devouring one another. There's a great image. And they're debating over whether to be a Christian, one must follow the letter of the law, that is the Jewish law and and, and rules of the covenant, or to walk by the Spirit. There are some in Galatia who say that, you know, by following the ancient rules of the Jewish covenant, by following all those laws, we will gain God's acceptance and approval. This is an awful trap that people fall into today. 
This idea that if you follow the rules, God will love you. And if you break the rules, God will reject you. And we humans have such a strong, overactive disapproval gland. We're always hustling for love and for affirmation from each other, but especially from God. Well, the kind of faith that, that ties God's approval of us with our ability to follow the rules, that can be such an exhausting and defeating trap. Because there's simply no way that any of us can follow all the rules perfectly. We will eventually fail. We'll blow it. And when we do, we will be prone then to run from God rather than run toward God, the only one who can redeem us. And so in this way, the law, as it turns out, actually drives us further away from God. And trying to please God, trying to win God's approval, it will never ever produce good fruit like love and kindness and joy, patience. Because abundance never grows from a place of human neediness. And so Paul writes to the Galatians And he says there's only one way to really know the love and affirmation of God. And it's a way that's vastly different from following all the rules. The rules rules are good. They are guidelines. They are, uh, you know, they keep us in our lanes. But that's not going to lead us to the love of God. Instead, what leads us to the love of God is God's grace, which is freely given to us. And that empowers us to get up every day and live with joy. This grace, as he calls it, is God's affirmation that is given ahead of time. It's an upfront, given in advanced acceptance of us so that we don't have to try to please God every time we turn around. It allows us instead to live by the Spirit, as he calls it. This idea that we can get out of bed knowing already that God's in love with us. We are God's beloved. And doing that, we We live our days not out of neediness, but out of abundance. And Paul is saying to us that if we are planted by the grace of God and in the grace of God, instead of human neediness, we will bear good fruit, joy, love, patience. And if it's true that we can judge a tree by the kind of fruit it produces, if it's true that that good fruit can only come from God's grace, What about the tree that is you? As you look at your own lives, are the fruits of love and joy, peace and patience, kindness and gentleness, goodness and generosity, faithfulness and self-control, are these evidenced in your lives, in your words and actions? In our own minds, we're often heroes. We think we're doing okay with this stuff, but sometimes we can just ask the people around us, how am I doing? Do others perceive these fruits growing in you? And this is where our faith can have an active and vital role in our political and social lives. Our faith can't, it it can't ensure that our team wins or that our particular political ideology prevails, but it will absolutely determine whether we can indeed love alike when we don't think alike. It will determine whether we are promoting more light in the world than heat that burns everything down. And if we're ever to really bear the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, especially in this polarized world, we have to agree together collectively to these two common commitments of our faith. The first 
the first commitment I want to call you to make in your life is to crack the seed coat of your souls. Maybe you know this. Every seed has a waxy coat around it. That seed must be broken eventually for the seed to grow. The seed coat protects the embryo, that's the most precious part of the seed. It's also the most vulnerable part. That waxy coat also transmits all this information from the outside world. Light, moisture, heat, even barometric pressure. It's all telling the seed when it can finally break out and grow. Eventually for growth to happen, that seed coat needs to be cracked. And how is the seed coat of your soul? Has it been cracked? Are you working daily on the vital part of you that's beneath the surface? Woodrow Wilson once said, your rootage is more important than your leafage. I like that one. How's your rootage? Are you daily drawing from the abundant well of God's grace, this love that loves you already before you've done anything? Because it's impossible for us to bear the fruit of love in the world if we are not drawing from love and the divine love of God. It's impossible. If that seed has not been cracked open, nothing will grow. Love only grows from a place of love. Martin Luther King Jr. had a radical vision that was unlike those that had come before him and quite unlike those that came after him. His leadership in the civil rights movement was distinct in that he was able to center his Christian faith and the radical teachings of Jesus in everything he did and everything he said. And a key part of that understanding was that we, like Jesus, have to reject violence in all of its forms. King centered this faith in his, in his teachings. What he said was, it's not enough to simply reject physical violence. He said we have to reject also what he called the internal violence of the soul. So refusing to strike back in the face of an offense, that's one thing, but it's not enough. You have to also refuse to humiliate and villainize and otherize and seek the defeat of your opponent. Is it just me or does that seem entirely unreasonable in our political climate today? I mean, try it at Thanksgiving dinner, right? Try it in the break room at the office or in the cul-de-sac when conversations come up that seem to be politically charged and you discover immediately that you are on the opposite end of where this other person is. And in that moment, can you resist the human impulse toward what King called the internal violence of the soul? Can you instead tap into that deep reservoir of God's grace that comes from a place of abundant love rather than human neediness. When King was asked, uh, how can I sign up for your movement, King said, you have to sign a pledge, a real pledge. And the simplicity and beauty and brilliance of that pledge, I think, transmits even to today's world. 
I wish every one of us would sign it. That covenant, that pledge involved several key commitments. One, to meditate daily on the teachings of Jesus. Radical, isn't it? Remember always, he said, that the movement seeks justice and reconciliation, not victory. Walk in the manner of love, for God is love. Pray daily to be used by God that all might be free. Sacrifice personal wishes in order that all might be free. Observe with both friend and foe the ordinary rules of courtesy. Radical. Seek to perform regular service for others and for the world. Refrain from violence of fist, tongue, or heart. And strive to be in good spiritual and bodily health. As I looked over those commitments again this week, it occurred to me that those were actually quite Wesleyan in nature. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, said there are two key aspects to the Christian life. Serving in acts of piety, which are acts of devotion and worship and prayer and Bible study, and giving yourselves to acts of mercy, which is service to the world, mercy, compassion for others. This inward and outward path defines the Christian life, and it nurtures the rootage. It cracks the seed coat of our souls. And I'm sorry to say that none of this is very politically useful in the middle of an argument. Any of these things will almost virtually ensure that you will lose an argument with your crazy uncle at Thanksgiving over the economy or immigration. But here's the deal. They will always, always bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, peace, gentleness. Before you even get to the argument, it's there. And notice, by the way, what's not on Martin Luther King Jr.'s list. Things like Meditate daily on the recent cable news network commentary. Uh, engage in snarky Twitter warfare. Um, observe a daily practice of reading and then posting inflammatory political memes on Facebook. You won't find those because they don't produce fruit. When we commit to growing the spirit beneath the surface of our lives, we can begin to grow fruit above it. So much of our political debate these days is so proudly infused with God and power, but it is so painfully devoid of spirit and truth. For many, that seed coat, it just hasn't been cracked open. And you can look and say, where is the fruit of the Spirit? And it's not there. In his book, Strive Toward Freedom, King describes a moment in his life that was transformative. He was getting up to 40 death threats a day, calls to his home, people saying, I'm going to kill you and your kids and your wife if you don't leave town. And one night he came home from a late meeting, his family was already asleep, and he sat down in a chair, and he prayed to God, and he said, I'm at the end of my capacity to do this. I have nothing left. I've, I've, I've come to the point where he said, I, I, I can't do this alone. And he said he heard this internal voice that said, stand for justice, stand for the truth, and I will be at your side forever. 
And he said in that moment, his doubt dissolved and his uncertainty disappeared. He could face anything. Why? Because that seed coat of his own soul had been cracked open and it began to bear fruit like peace in the middle of a storm, like gentleness in the face of the world's violence, like faithfulness and loyalty in the face of uncertainty, like joy in the midst of anger. When you crack the seed coat of your soul, you get to work on what's beneath the soil. The rootage starts to grow. The second commitment I want to call you to think about is to welcome the pollinators. This is the work that we do above the surface of our lives out there. Pollination is key to creating flowers and to creating fruit by bearing fruit. You have bees and birds and bats and beetles and butterflies all coming around and they're a reminder that without these buzzing around us, without us getting pollen all over our hands and faces, we can't grow. There is no fruit unless we welcome the other, unless we encounter those who think and act differently than we do, uh, those who come and go and hopefully leave at least a tiny piece of themselves with us. There's no fruit without us becoming vulnerable and dependent on conversations, on encounters that are uncomfortable. There's no fruit without pollination, without growth. There's, there's no fruit without sharing our stories, as odd and different as they might be. In our current climate, what we do is we confuse engagement with endorsement. We assume that if we even talk to the other, especially the one that we, in our minds, we think is crazy, that somehow we're validating the craziness, that we're affirming that it's okay. But curiosity doesn't mean um, consonance. And engagement doesn't mean endorsement. What it does imply is a healthy sense of humility that says there might be something I can learn. Not maybe a, a new ideology that's going to transform us and bring us to the other side. Maybe just a new story that helps me understand why this person thinks and acts the way they do. I want to know, I'm curious, why somebody wakes up and thinks that joining the Michigan militia is a good idea. I cannot in my mind in any way validate or affirm that. But there must be a story that leads to that moment for that person. Here in Colorado, we have a politician who's running for re-election on a campaign promise that says, if you re-elect me, Jesus will return and the kingdom of God will be ushered in. And I checked with Jesus and he said, nope. Uh-uh. And I don't want to judge that ideology as much as I disagree with it. I don't want to condemn or hate that person. But I'm curious, how'd you get there? What's your story? And we can't do that if the flower is closed. If we're drawing, truly drawing from life and light of the Spirit, there's nothing to fear from the pollinators. 
You just have to be a little bigger than you already are. In this culture of encounter, it's the antidote to the isolation that we're all feeling in this climate today. Let me close with this image. This week I came across a recording of a, of a famous musician's bass guitar track to a very popular song that was released many years ago. This musician's track had been isolated from all the other musicians in his group. And all you can hear is this single bass guitar um, humming and thumping to a famous but indistinguishable tune. Let's take a listen, see what you think. That recorded track, it sounds like a really bad middle school recital, doesn't it? <laughs> the musician, it turned out, was Paul McCartney, one of the great bassists of his time, in one of the great bands of his generation. The song was Hello, Goodbye, one of the Beatles' greatest hits. And you'd never know it by listening to that solo bass track. You'd never know that that song would be such a great hit because, well, you, you know why. Because we don't listen to tracks in isolation. We humans are drawn to harmony. And with all due respect to our bassist, <laughs> solo tracks aren't that interesting on the bass. We do our best, most generous most creative work, not by being in isolation, but by living in that tension that comes from the contributions of others, working together. That is why we listen to the whole song and not just one musician's solo track. We need pollinators. Our takeaways for today, be planted in God's grace and you will bear fruit, you will. Crack open the seed coat of your soul and welcome the pollinators. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.